Welcome to episode 151 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, yo, brother. What's going on? You know, just getting ready to read a little bit of Micah. It's Micah time. It is Micah cast. So Micah cast. <laughs> Micah cast. For those who may be joining us who are new to the show, uh, make sure you go back a couple episodes. We're working our way through the prophet Micah, and uh, you're not going to want to miss the first episode, but you're only one episode short, so you should be able to catch up pretty quick. Uh, but we are going to jump into the second pericope of Micah tonight. But before we do that, Jesse, what are you affirming tonight? Carrying on that fine tradition. I'm going to switch it up on you. I'm going to go denial first. How do you feel about that? Denial first. Oh, my goodness. I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah, because there's a flow with this. You're going to see the grand arc in a second. All right, let's do I it. I don't have a particularly common last name. You know That's this. That's true. Many people know this. And just like so many people in this world, my personal email address is a derivative of my last name and first That's name. That's true. It, this, these are all just facts. This is it's super <laughs> interesting so far. This is great podcasting, like you read about in podcasting magazines. Yes. So is there a podcasting here, magazine? There probably is. I'm sure there, I'm sure there is. We should have talking... a subscription to this. <laughs> and this, this is the cover article, How Not to Do It, which is the yep, example exactly. I'm giving right now. We were interviewed this week. I'm not to podcast. (laughs) So here's the thing about my email address that I'm kind of denying. And more this is a denial about how we can all sometimes just be very cavalier, I guess, about our data when we go to great lengths at other times to really protect it. But in the last three years, I have gotten so much personal information that's not mine sent to my email address by people (laughs) who think they own my email address. Like this is actually blown my mind. I actually met and became fairly well acquainted with a woman in the, in the Midwest who shares my first initial and last name. And for some reason kept using my email address whenever she would order stuff. And so, and then I had a father who thought he was communicating with his daughter, send me her insurance card. I think I've talked about that before, Yeah. but just this past weekend, I had somebody order something from an online retailer and it was clearly they thought that there was this was their own email address because within the receipt I had access to everything, including their phone number, credit card information. Like I could have sim swapped their phone easily. Man. And so I, the thing is, it's weird though because I'm always trying to reach out to let the person know that they've done this or let the company know their client is not providing the right email address. Yeah. But it's always super awkward and I don't like to give up too much of my own information because you just never know. Yeah. So I'm denying against, come on people. Like if you don't own the email address, don't use it to order stuff. Do you think that people like they're just typoing the email address? Like, is there a K Schwam out there or something like that? No. So here's the thing is that in every case so far where this has happened, it's same last name, same first initial. And I knew it was that case in this particular instance because the person's first name started with J. It was just so weird. not Jesse. So Maybe yeah, they so thought, it, I can't I can't account for it. I I, I have no way well, to account for it. I have this theory. My working theory right now is that these people probably have jobs, and it's possible that at their job, their email address is my personal email address. Just. Not with at, a different suffix. Yeah, a different extension. Yeah. Yes. Huh. So I think that that might be what's happening. And so they go you know, on like people, autopilot? Yes, which oh. we can all do. So that's why I'm kind of denying like just being very careful. You know what's funny <clears throat> is um, this doesn't just happen with strangers. So my wife, my wife's first name is Jen. So she shares the same problem I have. And I often get emails from things that she signed up for. Like she works yeah. for a company that uses some kind of third party software and she needs to get a schedule a conference call. All of a sudden I'm getting all these emails about like your conference call appointments. <laughs> and that's like a <laughs> great, like, pl- that's like a great prank to play on someone. I was like, even you seriously. So that's wow. kind of what I'm denying against. It's weird, yeah. but I'm just like, and, and I can be this way too, is being cavalier with information online. So I'm denying against that. How about you? You can, you can go denial or, Affirmation. What it's dealer's choice tonight. Whatever well, you want. Well, if I go affirmation, then we're gonna have a denial sandwich, and I don't know if that's a great idea. 
It's going to be like denial, affirmation, affirmation, denial. I'll start with my denial. So I'm denying uh, TVMA shows. Like there's so many great concepts coming out these days on like Amazon and Netflix and Hulu. And the shows that are rated TVMA tend to just be filthy. So, like, you see the preview for the show, you think it's going to be great, and then you see it's TVMA, and then in, like, the first episode, you're, like, unsubscribe, because there's, like, all sorts of, like, violence and swearing and nudity, and I'm just like, come on, can we just have some, like, good, wholesome, like, television? Can we have, do we have to, like, include stuff that, like, sullies the whole show can't we just have like an engaging television without all this other stuff? So I'm just denying sort of the way that the industry is going with only ever having like TV shows that have a bunch of nudity and stuff. And I mean, I suppose that's kind of like the way it is with like Netflix TV shows. And that's part of why those producers are gravitating towards those uh, mediums or those platforms. Cause they don't have to deal with the same restrictions they do on uh, network television, but it's frustrating because you get all excited about a show and then you're like, oh, I can't finish watching it. So we got to unpack this for a second because I actually have no idea what you're talking about. So uh, admittedly, I'm, I'm not up on uh, TV. I don't watch a ton of TV, yeah. but are you talking about stuff that's on Hulu and Netflix? Like we're yeah. talking about that. They get the ratings there. And then, yeah. So if you, if you watch, um, if you go to like pretty, almost any like made for Netflix television show, um, and you find one that is rated TVMA, uh, stands for Mature Audiences, you can right. almost be guaranteed on either Amazon Prime or Netflix. I don't find it as much on Hulu, uh, but Netflix or Amazon Prime almost guarantee you that within the first 20 minutes of the show, you're going to find some sort of sexual content that makes you want to not watch the show anymore. It's like every show, Game of Thrones used to be like extreme and now that's like the norm for most made for Netflix TVMA uh, wow. rated shows. Yeah, it, really? it accelerated really quickly too. Yeah, that seems like a race to the bottom with that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's really frustrating too because other than that, a lot of these are really great concepts for shows. So like you get engaged in the idea, you watch the trailer, you're excited about it, and then you watch the first episode and you're kind of like, I can't really continue watching this. So, so it's, what's a show that, that happened to recently where you were like super stoked about the premise and then you're like, man, can't do it. Um, well, we wanted to watch this show Outlander. Have you ever heard of that? I have heard of that, actually. Yeah. So Outlander is this uh, you find this out in the first like hour of the show. So it's not like a spoiler. It's this based on a, a series of novels where this woman in England sort of gets like swept back in time and she ends up in like medieval Scotland, like England. So it's a really interesting premise. I like historical like uh, fiction. So the idea of like a historically situated fictionalized story that has sort of this sci-fi element to it was really appealing to me. And probably within the first like 20 or 30 minutes of the show, we were like, eh, I can't really continue to watch this. Um, and, and this was like, I mean, it wasn't anything. This is the worst part is it wasn't anything that was even all that unusual in the show. It just was like, rather than having what, what might've been like, uh, an allusion to a married couple having sex on the show. They just went ahead and show everything like going on in the bedroom. So it was like a very, wow. it's a very frustrating experience because you get excited about a show and then you can't continue to watch it. So Isn't first world problems, like, I guess, but you know, it, yeah, it is, but it, it shows this like, man, it just shows this gratuitous nature of sin, like how we so desperately, mm -hmm. So desperately really love to participate in sin yeah. because in the instance that you're describing there, what is horrible about that is obviously that probably has like no bearing on the story, right? Right. Yeah. In most cases you could continue on. I mean, like in, in that one, like the context was it was right after world war one or maybe world war two, one of the world wars. And it was like a married couple that hadn't seen each other for ye for like a year because of the war. And so they were like kind of coming back to their marriage, trying to figure out if they were going to be able to make it work after having not seen each other for so long. So it was actually like important to the story that they, as a married couple, were able to like get their groove back for lack of a better way of saying it. <laughs> but like they didn't have to be as gratuitous about it as they were. You know what I mean? 
I just had this great idea where you and I narrate shows that have some kind of is so this would only work if we didn't actually have to watch them unfortunately yeah. but yeah you we narrate them and we just pull them down to g with our descriptions like we keep all the descriptions <laughs> really pg yeah <laughs> like you just did right there like getting your groove back yeah like yeah in this scene sam and ally get their groove back yeah. next like that's all yeah, and I mean, it, it's even like, I, I don't know, I don't know that I want to dwell on it much longer, but it's just frustrating because you get excited about a show and then you can't watch it. And you're right, most of the time, the the scene could be absent entirely or it could be much more subtle or didn't you know, not include nudity or whatever, and they just don't. They just don't care about that. And it used to be because the culture was predominantly, even still just sort of had like a, a Christian hangover, as it were, like right. they shied away from that stuff because uh, that was just sort of the prevailing perspective in the culture. But now the culture has become so sexualized that it, it doesn't matter anymore. Nobody cares about that stuff. It doesn't even phase people. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's horrible, but that's makes a complete sense. Unfortunately. Yep. All right. So now we can do some affirmations and we can be positive about something. Yeah. It's going to be upbeat. So Yay. in a sense, <laughs> so this affirmation starts with a question for you. I'm going to name several, let's say like internet organizations or sites. And I just want to know if these mean anything to you. So let me okay. give you the list real quick. So we've got Apollo, Bitly, Daily Motion, Discuss, Heroes of New Earth, Last.fm, MyFitnessPal, PemaBlank, and Tumblr. Do those mean anything to you? There's only two of them that I don't know off the top of my head what they are. Okay. So what I'm actually affirming is a website called Have I Been Owned? Owned is spelled with a P oh, though. Oh, yeah. I've seen this before. <laughs> are you familiar with this? Yeah. Yes. So here's why this is great is if you go to Have I Been Owned? Owned spelled with a P, P-W-N-E-D.com. This will allow you to enter in your email address and see if any accounts that are associated with the email address have been part of a breach. And so I just put in your personal email address, which I will not state on the podcast so that <laughs> you don't get a lot of crazy mail. Uh, and uh, those all came up. Now, I should say I did this because I was just funny and I was curious. When I put in mine, you have nine. I had 13. <laughs> <laughs> it's because so, all those other what... people are signing up for services under your name. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's probably true. Part of this isn't my fault. But here's what I love about this. This is a really interesting site because you just throw in your email address. You're going to get a sense of whether or not an email that you have has been associated with a company that's experienced a breach. It's really interesting information. And I was surprised to learn just how many things my one, my address is associated with and just how many of these companies have had some type of breach. And where it lists each of the breaches, it lets you know what was actually compromised potentially. So at the very least, it reminds us that, again, you probably we probably need to do that thing where you've got like a separate like really hard code password from a random number generator or some kind of password housing site for all this for each and every different thing that you sign up for if only to protect against this kind of thing i just had no idea how ubiquitous i mean we hear about the breaches of course yeah. it's a problem um but in this case i have to ask a question okay what is heroes of New Earth. <laughs> it's is, a video what game. What is that? Okay. Yeah, it's a video well, game. Figured, it's like an like, online what, what? battle arena game. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. There's no better way for me to describe it that you'll understand than that. It's <laughs> it's just a video game. I, I think that, I think I, I played the game once and then I unsubscribed to it because I wasn't I wasn't very good at it. It wasn't very fun. Well, apparently they had eight million accounts hacked. So Yeah, it, it does bear saying as the resident techie guy on the show here. Just because your email is associated with a company that has been breached does not mean that someone has actually hacked your email address. That's so correct. a lot of times they'll buy these big email lists from a breach and they'll they won't do much with it. So and most of the time it, it ends up being like a phishing scam. Um, the ones you have to be really, really concerned about and like rush and change your password are the ones where the passwords themselves are associated with the breach, which is pretty rare on right. the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And this site will tell you if the breach has been associated with the password. And right. many of these have just out of curiosity. What was one of the ones that you didn't recognize? Uh, I didn't recognize Apollo. And I don't know what that is. 
So it says it's a sales engagement startup company. Huh. Go figure. Yeah. So and again, at the very least, it gives you like a nice walk down memory lane where you're kind of like, oh, that's right. There I was one towards the end for... that was like a started with a P that I don't recognize either. Yeah. So it was called Pema Blank. Yeah. It's a credential stuffing list. Uh, no, hold on a second. That was contained passwords on this public like, on a French server. I don't know. It's all kind of weird. <laughs> I not, actually, the more I look at it, I have no idea what that is. Just as in April 2018, a credential stuffing list containing 111 million email addresses and passwords known as Pema Blank was discovered on a French server. Huh. Pema Blank is the. Uh, I think Pema Blank is not a service. It's a hack. But I don't. I don't yeah, know in this what case, yes, I think Pema so. Blank is. But yeah, because yeah. it says it's un, unverified. Anyway, it's a super, yeah, some breaches may feel like it's unverified. Yeah, it's basically a hack. So your, your email address is found right. in, this, in this hack. But super interesting. So yeah, definitely go to, if you want to be scared, just go to have I been owned, owned spelled again with a P. Here's the com. secret you have. Almost everybody has. <laughs> so yeah, well, so here's, here's the thing. Like they recommend, like put in your email address, put in the email address of everybody else, you know. So I put in my mother, your mother-in-law's email address because I was like, oh yeah, this is going to make me feel really good about myself. <laughs> and it I was like 13. nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> totally clean. Wow. Because she, she doesn't sign, sign up, up for, for anything. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She doesn't use the internet for, for stuff like that, which is probably wise. So wouldn't, anyway. wouldn't it be crazy if in like four years we find out that this website was actually like a brilliant, ha like a brilliant <laughs> phishing scheme in and of itself. And they're selling all this information to, to some torrid actor. Uh, that would be incredible. At the risk of extending this a little bit too long, just out of curiosity, do you use like a password manager? Uh, I actually use, we can kind of, this will be like a mini affirmation. Google Chrome actually has password manager built oh, into it. Oh, that's right. That's what you like. Yeah. And it also has, when you go to sign up for something, you can right click and it'll automatically generate a strong password and save it right into the browser all in one motion. Um, and then Boom. you can actually go to password.google.com and you can review or delete any of the passwords that it has stored. So it's a pretty robust password manager. Some of the other ones like RoboForm or LastPass are nice, but they don't have a real good seamless interface for the phone. But obviously like Google Chrome, because you're using a Google, like if I'm using an Android device, it's all integrated and built in. So I really like that one. Um, but it's funny because I, I, I went real like gung-ho with that for a while and then I just got like sick of trying to do it and I went back to my old ways and like back to the same password for everything. Yeah, you're just, we're just asking for it, apparently. Yeah. And that password, it, it's just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's broadcast that to our tens and tens of listeners. Um, could you at least give us your login and password for Heroes of New Earth? Because I definitely like to check that out. I, I don't even remember it. <laughs> I'm sure I could figure it out. It's always a variation of the same thing, but your guess is as good as mine, brother. Uh, so before I release more of our personal information for everybody to <laughs> use, how about an affirmation from you? That's maybe a little bit more upbeat than me saying, hey, here's a fun site you can go to to see how you've been hacked. Yeah. So I picked up an interesting habit from your father, my father-in-law, um, who rather than highlight uh, in a book, he underlines with a highlighter, right? <laughs> yes, so yes. I was at Michael's the other day, and I don't know about you. Your wife is crafty. My wife is crafty. Uh, not like crafty, like shady, but like crafty, like likes to do crafts. And not like the way the serpent was crafty above all the, <laughs> we all of the beasts of the field. Um, so I was stuck at, at Michael's the other day because she wanted to buy like fake pumpkins or some nonsense. And I was there. And so I wandered around and I always find myself in the pen section. Do you ever find yourself in the pen section of a store like at Staples or something like that? Yeah, because pens are awesome. Like they're romantic. There's something you know, about them that draws you. I made so much fun of you when you uh, made the recommendation about fountain pens. And now <laughs> we're about to do the same thing. So I found a product called a Tripless Fine Liner Neon. And uh, what it is, is it's a, you know, like this, the stereotypical highlighter colors, like neon yeah. green, neon orange. It's that, except it's just a pen. So it's specifically made for underlining with a highlighter color. 
So I've I've uh, long been one of those people who wants to highlight their books, but I have always resisted because I hate the way that it looks in a book to have like a whole like line or a couple lines highlighted. But the underlining is much more subtle. And I can never quite get it right with a highlighter the way that dad does. But now I've got these fine liners that let me do it. So it's uh, they're made by Stadletter, Stad, Stadlet, Stadler, S-T-A-E-D-T-L-E-R. And it's called a Triplus Fine Liner Neon. And I just love it. Like I'm underlining everything now. It's great. Yeah, you are. I'm looking at these bad boys right now. And so because we're, we've just totally gone into pen nerdery, so I have to ask, are they ballpoint? Are they marker? What it's, is It's hard to see because they're really tiny. I think it's like a little felt tip. It's, it's Ooh, very felt. much the same kind of uh, experience. Like the feel of it is very much like a highlighter, which has kind of that like sort of hard spongy feeling, except it's just a, just a tip, like just a point. And it's very thin. It's probably like a 0.7 millimeters. You know, I saw a highlighter the other day that made me think of you. Um, if only because <laughs> we're such nerds. <laughs> if only because it was so strange. I was like, I gotta ask Tony about this. Apparently, there's been a major epic problem in the developed world that highlighters prevent you from seeing the very thing that you're trying to highlight. So this new highlighter actually has, like, it's hollowed out in the center. So you you actually have a square tip where there's nothing in the middle. So apparently you can see the words that you're highlighting in real time. I didn't know this was such a big problem, but apparently it was a problem that needed to be solved. Aren't highlighters by definition supposed to not obscure what you're highlighting? Well, oh, no, no. So I mean, this are is people weird. out there highlighting with a Sharpie or something? No, no, sorry. This is what's weird about it is it's to it's like as you were highlighting so you can visually see through the tip of the highlighter to oh. the words behind it. But it still and, highlights the whole word. Yes. I can see that. I like that. <laughs> Someone I knew you'd be down with that. I, I don't I, have a problem with that. Yeah, I have this little clear ruler that I use. I'm holding it up in front of the screen, which is great podcasting. But it's this little clear ruler that I use to highlight because I want the line to be straight. But if I use like a bookmark, I can't see the words that I'm highlighting and it slows me down. So I use this little clear ruler because then as I'm highlighting, this took a lot of practice. As I'm highlighting, I can continue to read the words but underneath the ruler as I'm highlighting above it. So it doesn't slow me down anymore. I, I can't even stop the nerdery at, at this point. Right, you're right-handed. No, you're left-handed, left-handed like me. Yeah. yeah, you're left-handed like me. Which direction do you highlight? Left to right or right to left? Right to left, usually. Yeah, I, I actually highlight from the outside of the page in. That's how I do it, too. So it's not always left to right. It depends on which page oh, I'm on. Oh, never mind. I'm if always, I'm on the I'm left-hand always page, left to right. I highlight from the outside of the page in. I find that I get straighter lines that way. I don't know where we go from here. <laughs> I, I'm actually, uh, so the other thing, talk about data breaches. I know you're very much opposed to these kinds of things, but my wife's insurance, my wife, we get our health insurance through my wife's job at the college and they have one of those programs where like you record your walking, you record your sleep or whatever, how much water you drank and they give you money. Um, and so I'm actually saving up for something called a scan marker pro, which is a digital highlighter. <laughs> And what you do is it scans the page, and as you scan the page, it transfers the text to your phone. So that's what oh. I—that's that's the pinnacle of highlighting technology, I guess. Yeah, it is. Now I, I just even... need that highlighter as it scans to also highlight the page, but only an underline, and then we'll be all set. <laughs> What's funny is I still make fun of my father for that because I always give him a hard time because he's operating a highlighter, which is by design meant to go over an entire word. I know. But he, I think he actually turns it slightly so he gets mostly that chiseled tip. He does. And then he just, just does point. like this kind of, yeah, and he does it in such a way it's very artistic. If you ever watched the technique, yeah. it's like a flick of the wrist and it's lots of underlining. And I'm always like, why not just use a pen then or yeah. any other tool besides well, a highlighter? I'm going to get him a bunch of these fine liners because I think he'll really like them. Well, this is the kind of affirmation denial that when we're through with it, I think we probably should scrap this and start the whole thing <laughs> over again. I feel like we could probably make like a, like a pen podcast. 
we, we probably should at some point just talk. It's, yeah. it's so nerdy, but I'm telling you, I'm sure people out there are identifying with us. There's something yeah. about a good writing implement that just makes you happy. And especially if you're, if it's something that you use while you're reading and that could just be like a really nice mechanical pencil or the, yeah. a ruler and a, a ballpoint pen. It just makes you feel good. It's like you're processing information. You're working, you're expanding your mind, you're soaking up material and you're being creative and yeah. active in thinking. It's beautiful. Yeah, and then then when people read your book, they think you're really smart because you highlighted all this stuff. Makes it look exactly. like you're paying extra special attention. You, you throw a couple of cryptic notes in the margin, and people are like, "Man, I don't even understand what he was he's writing about here. This must be some kind of second level, third level thinking about this text." I know he's amazing. I know. It is it is amazing, and it, and really out in reality, all you were doing was scribbling in a book. So there's that. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, speaking of processing text. I was going to say, we're 25 minutes in now, <laughs> so we should probably get to Micah. <laughs> Let's get into Micah. So we're looking at that next pericope, and what is that section that we're looking at today? So we're looking at uh, Micah chapter 1, and we're going to go verses 8 through 16. Um, so this is a section, um, you know, the, the prophets, um, they usually start out on a down note. And so they, they start out usually pretty hard and Micah is no exception. So we, we followed up, you know, in the last, uh, pericope, it kind of ended basically saying like Samaria, your time is coming. And so in this section, the sort of prophetic sites, as it were, turn and point towards Judah and specifically to Jerusalem. And so most right. of this section here is kind of like kind of think concentric circles as the prophet narrows down as the Holy Spirit through the prophet kind of drills down to really put his finger on the pulse of the spiritual Ill illness of Israel's um, idolatry. So it's, it was, it's one of those sections that's actually a little bit hard to read because uh, it, it sort of is like, man, things are really bad. And, and the point of the text is things are really bad. Like sometimes you read a text and, and the point of the text is to tell you about the hope for the future or something like that, but it has to present the, the downside in order to get you there. This part of the text really is just to tell you about how terrible things were and how terrible they're going to be for Israel, for Judah specifically, because of her sin. Right. Just mostly straight up doom. Right. Right. So why don't I go ahead and read uh, the first part here? Um, it says, starting in verse eight, for this, I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentations like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches for her wound is incurable and it has come to Judah. It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. So it, this is continuing the thought from verses one through seven. So when it's talking about Samaria, um, I found it really interesting. A couple of the commentaries that I read made the point that this language about the wound being incurable and it coming to Judah, this phrase, it has reached the gate of my people is actually a really common phrase that would be used in secular writing um, in other Semitic languages to talk about when a plague had reached the city gates. So sin right. here, idolatry here is seen as a sickness that has infected the people of Samaria. And so it has now, it is now finally reach the gates of Jerusalem itself. And so now Jerusalem is sick with this plague of idolatry that will ultimately be her downfall. Right. This whole little passage of these eight verses is, is kind of divided in thirds, not evenly, but in terms of the ideas being right. expressed. And it's interesting that does, he does start out here with this really strong resolve to mourn for Judah's exile. And I'm impressed just with the sensibility of how Micah is writing and his own Basically, him, him being overwhelmed in an emotional state with the grief that's coming. So he's yeah. not just speaking about this in a philosophic sense and saying that this is going to be really awful. There is a lot of doom and gloom and punishment coming. But he's anticipating this coming grief of the people. And he's, he's showing that he's sensitive to it, that this impending plight means something to him, that he is grieving and mourning over it. And, and even in just reading that, that just reminded me of what a great characteristic that is of God's leaders that they cannot separate themselves from the reality of something being painful, of being emotional, of over being overwhelming when it concerns God's people, and especially God's punishment toward his own people, his, their discipline and their correction. And that goes to what you said about verse eight. It's interesting that he talks about stripped and naked. And 
specifically like the Septuagint translates that as in particular reference to the, the top garment, but also shoes and sandals, which, yeah. you know, like, as you know, like that, that has a really rich meaning throughout the, the scriptures, especially in the old Testament, because yep. slaves and servants were the ones without shoes and sandals. So that's why you have Moses being commanded to take off his, his shoes and sandals. That's right. incidentally why when Jesus tells the, the parable of the prodigal son, that he's, he's specifically, he's given shoes back on his feet to restore right. him into the family as opposed to being considered a servant or a slave. So this is like absolute, um, not just disharmony, not just punishment, but it's, it's absolute like unbearable humiliation. Yeah. And here we have Micah saying, I'm not above this. I'm not beyond this. I'm personally impacted by this and I mourn over it. I'm sick over it. This, this is something that really just shakes me uh, to the core. And I, I like what you said about the wound and how that's used there and how we're to understand that, because I think there are some that read that text and because of the phrase like coming to the gate, they presume that what's being spoken about there is just the strict punishment that God is going to deliver through political means. That is like through the Assyrians coming and basically, you know, wiping them out. But I'm with you. I think the proper way to understand that in the context is that there's a spiritual sickness that's incurable. Yeah. And it, I like what you said about a plague. That's basically what's happened here. It is, it is a plague of spiritual decay and rottenness. And that wound of corruption is so serious that here's the reason why God is bringing this judgment to bear on his own people. Yeah. So Matthew Henry puts it this way. He says, we have here a long train of mourners attending the funeral of a ruined kingdom. And then he goes on uh, to say, note, we ought to lament the punishment of sinners as well as the sufferings of the saints in this world. The weeping prophet did so, and so did this prophet. So, you know, we, we, we're going to do, and we're, we're trying to do fair exegesis of this text in the limited time and with the limited resources we have on this show, but we're really trying to get to application, I think is, is kind of the focus that I want to bring out on this. Yeah, for sure. And you know, how often do we genuinely lament the punishment that sinners receive? I think sometimes when we see a particularly outward sinner, right? We're all sinners, but there are those people who sin outwardly. We, you know, we talked about this with the, the TV shows earlier. Like there are, there are those people who sin and are ashamed of it. And then there are those people who sin and are proud of it and revel in their sin. And it, it, it's never too long before those people get what's coming to them temporally. I mean, the, the psalmist laments that the, the righteous sometimes seem to suffer and the wicked seem to prosper. But even in this world, like the, the right, the righteous have a quiet peace, but those who are flagrantly sinning and flagrantly denying the truth of God will eventually fall. Like we'll see them fall. And it's usually very public. You know, you think about like all of the sexual harassment scandals in Hollywood with the me too movement, like those people are getting what they deserve, but how often do we lament the punishment that they receive? And I think that's one of the things we can take away from this text that Micah is looking at the people of Samaria who by all counts, deserve the judgment that they're getting. They deserve to be exiled. They deserve to be murdered. They deserve to have their life taken from them for the sins they've committed. And likewise now, not just Samaria, but Jerusalem itself, Judah itself, also deserves that punishment. Yet the prophet does not uh, celebrate that. He doesn't revel in it. In fact, it's it's the Moabites right. that revel in the destruction of Jerusalem, and they're judged for it later on when we read in other places in Isaiah and in this book, the Moabites celebrated the, the fall of the sinful and they're judged for it. So we really should be careful when we see someone, you know, I think like um, recent discussions about Joshua Harris, right? There are people who sort of reveled in the fact that this person finally, uh, finally got what was coming to him in terms of the destruction of his marriage, the destruction of his, his prestige, the destruction of his career. And on a certain level, like it's an appropriate thing for us to say, yeah, it's, it's a righteous thing to celebrate when sin is punished. But at the same time, we should mourn and grieve the results that that brings about because it points to the fact that the world is not as it should be. Right. I think it's really interesting that what the language that Micah is using here is all about death and decay. So if you think about the fact that the scriptures also implore us to really mourn and grieve over our sins, that, that's just like a hairbreadth away from what we're talking about here. And what I think is really tremendous about that language, if we stop for a second, is that 
mourning is not necessarily sadness. There is sadness in mourning, but mourning and grief is like this kind of, this is, doesn't need to be explained for anybody who's lost a loved one, for instance, something that's something that's precious to them or somebody that's precious to them. There's this kind of gut wrenching, uh, absolute, just flat out, uh, like almost undescribable emotion that comes with having the finality of losing somebody. Yeah. And so it's interesting that in this yeah. metaphor of absolute death, which is complete separation and destruction, that even here, that language is being used because it's reminding us that the only one who can redeem even those things, even in this, what's what's horribly about to happen here, all this doom and gloom, God will redeem it. And he's the only one that he can redeem it. In other words, I don't think any other language would have been appropriate or strong enough to emphasize that on the other end of this, that God is the one who's able to put it all back together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really do think we have to take our cues from the prophet here because I, I like this is one of those topics that I think I, if I'm being honest, I particularly struggle with is there's a certain uh, sense of almost pleasure and delight in seeing someone that you think deserves something negative, get it. Um, there's sure. a certain, there's a certain perversion of justice. You know, justice is defined in various ways, but when someone who does evil receives a punishment, that's one thing that we see as justice. But I think sometimes we take that and that that's legitimate. Like it's, it's legitimate to be, to have a sense of satisfaction when someone who deserves punishment receives it. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be cautious because we deserve punishment and we haven't received it. But um, there's a certain sense in which we take that uh, we take that reality and we pervert it to where we start to say someone who even doesn't deserve punishment or something that doesn't deserve punishment, all of a sudden we're satisfied when something negative seems to happen. Um, one of the things I'm I'm working on, I, we're we're working on restarting uh, the public domain and sort of improving it a little bit. And I'm reading through Thomas Boston's True Repentance, and I recorded a segment this morning where he basically is talking about the fact he's using uh, Christ's teaching uh, about the Tower of Siloam and the uh, the Galileans who were killed by Pilate, and he he makes the point that when someone's sin is severe. Uh, he calls it a signal sin, a sin that's public and demonstrates their reprobate status or their unregenerate status, that when some sort of hard providence or some sort of temporal punishment befalls them, it's not wrong for us to associate those things. But when, when we don't see a signal sin, uh, we shouldn't think that a judgment is a signal judgment. And what he's saying is that um, sometimes bad things happen because people are sinful in terms of sometimes there's a one-to-one -one correlation and we can draw reasonable conclusions about that correlation. However, most of the time things happen because of how sin has affected the world. And so we should be cautious of that. And in, in the prophet Micah here, we have a unique glimpse because he's a prophet of exactly why these bad things are happening. But you flip that over and we have the book of Job. And even though we see that these things are happening as a result of God's uh, decree, they're not happening as a result of God's judgment. So we should be careful right. in celebrating those hard providences or signal judgments or whatever you want to call them, because we don't always know what's going on in terms of the, the actual providence behind it. Yeah, I think that the best thing that we can do is, like you've already said, take the advice from Micah here, which is our default position should be one of grief first, because yeah. there's always grief and sadness and mourning in seeing the judgment of God meted out towards someone else regardless of the situation. It just should always be sad. So I think there's a lot that can be said as if we just take that as the normative position instead of running to like that, well, I'm, I'm glad that person finally got theirs. It's about time. Right. And, and it's really hard. I'm the same as you. It's really difficult sometimes not to want to think that way, even if you just do that in kind of the quiet of your own mind. It's really hard not to have that be the first thing that, that pops into your head. Um, let's Let's keep reading. Yeah. And now I'll have you read, because I want to say that um, this next section is, I, I really like this section, even though it's kind of strange, yeah. but I only like it because I've had a little bit of time to meditate on it and try to understand more of what's happening here. And I think once you get just a little bit of a sense of why it's being written and what it's, why it's being written like this way, it is super interesting. So I, I want to say like, before you read it, to set it up, so if somebody's not familiar with this, is this is kind of like the next several verses, like 10 to 15, is this like main body of this pericope. 
And it's all clever word plays on the yeah. name of Judah's strongholds, which, and he's predicting like the subsequent fall and the exile, all these strongholds, but there's all these clever puns with the names of the towns that are either ironic or expressing something about what God is going to do through his judgment as the conqueror comes through. So even though they're not going to stand out to us in English, I want to throw that out there before like you read it. So people get a sense they can kind of be listening for how he describes these towns. And then we can maybe talk just give a couple examples of like the names and how clever this all is. Yeah. So I'll read all the way through verse 16. He says, uh, starting in verse 10, Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Beth Arpha, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Saphir, in nakedness and shame. And inhabitants of Zanan, do not come out. The lamentations of Beth Ezel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Marot wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morsheth Gath. The house of Axim shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Marsha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Man, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> I thought yeah. you were going to say, I thought you were going to provide a commentary after that. Um, so it sounds weird, right? I mean, like even yeah. listening to it, I was following along what you're reading. It's kind of an earful to listen to because of all it these is. names. And then what seems like almost random descriptions accompanying those names. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to note, I mean, these aren't, this isn't a random list, right? This is even beyond right. the fact that this is Holy Spirit inspired. The Holy Spirit always has a reason for what he's doing. This is not a random list. Anyone looking at this list who, and I wouldn't have been at it, not been for the commentaries that I've read. Anyone looking at this list would understand that these are the strongholds. These are the, these are the yes. military installations in Israel. And when conquering powers came through, and, and this wasn't the first first time it had happened in Israel, there's a predictable sort of order that they attack these cities in because there's storehouse cities, there's cities where the, the weapons are stored, where the chariots are stored. There's kind of places where the king flees to if Jerusalem, like there's all these different plans. And so these cities, the prophet is identifying are the cities that are on that list of key military cities that are in Judah. And so the, the prophet is identifying that these military strongholds or these store cities, these strategic targets will all fall. And it zeroes in here and it does this sort of chiastic chiasm thing where Jerusalem is kind of in the middle uh, as right. sort of the central important city that's going to fall. It's sort of there's all these cities, then Jerusalem, and there's all these cities after it. And that's kind of pointing to, you know, a chiasm is a, a text feature where the text kind of makes an X. That's why it's called a chiasm. The Greek letter chi is an X. And so in the middle is the point of the text. And so the point of the text here in this, this little chunk of the pericope is that Jerusalem is the central city that's going to fall, but also all of the other cities around it that the king of Israel, the kings of Israel, the people of Israel considered militarily strong, that they had a tendency to put their trust in, in terms of protecting them from foreign armies, those two are going to fall as well. And so here's what's brilliant about how this is particularly written is, like you said, everybody would have recognized these particular locations. They're particular locations that would have been very familiar to Micah as well. Right. And what he's doing is he's using these words, these cities, they sound like words often in the Hebrew language. So obviously we're standing on the shoulders of a lot of great men and women who've translated this for us and provided this type of information. But what's interesting is even in English, as a casual reader, we can begin to really appreciate what Micah's doing here. So here, here are a couple of the names and feel free to jump in on this because I think this is really brilliant. 
honestly. So in verse 10, where he talks about Bethlehem, roll yourselves in dust. So we have this vivid expression of grief. You know, that was a sign of humiliating defeat. And he's incorporating the name of that city, which means literally house of dust. So he's, he's talking about a literal, like the dust of wallowing. And then when he gets to Shafir, that sounds like the Hebrew word for beautiful, which is ironic because it's being juxtaposed with this fate of its citizens who are going to be taken into exile. So you, you can imagine here you have these people have come together. They built this amazing city. They're going to name it beautiful because that was maybe previously its chief characteristic. And it's going to have all of its shame made naked. And so the city is going to be dismantled. Its walls are going to be pulled down. The walls are almost like the garment, if you were kind of like of a city. And so the citizens will be stripped naked. They'll be taken into captivity. The city will be utterly destroyed. And so I'm just bowled over, honestly, with how this literary technique is being used to emphasize that here is God transcendent and powerful in so many ways above all things. And he's, it's almost like there's a mockery that's happening here. You think your city is beautiful. You've built this up. You think you guys are so great. You have this time of extended peace and prosperity. And I'm going to undo everything, including the names of the very places that you built up as a sign of your own power instability. So that goes even with like Zanin, like you said, the inhabitants don't come out. And Zanin sounds like the Hebrew word for come out, which is ironic because here's a town that's going to be hiding behind these fortified walls as they're un- they're attacked by the yeah. Assyrians. So there's, there's all these like amazing, amazing uh, puns in here. And it's too bad. I wish I'd spoke more Hebrew or could appreciate that like right on the face. But what an amazing delivery for this message, because this is a unique way to deliver that particular message. Yeah. Yeah. This just underscores for me um, the importance of understanding or being able to operate in the original text. So the the original hearers, probably hearers, but readers of this oracle of this prophecy, these puns would have been jumping off the page at them. Right. And, right. and there's a certain element of almost comedy in the way that these are put together. But also, you know what it points to? It points to God's providence, right? Because yes. the dusty city will roll in the dust. The city of coming out, right? The shepherds, Zanin has to do with the shepherds bringing out their flocks. The, the, the city of the shepherds bringing out their flocks will not come out. So you lose that in the English because they translate the word uh, they they give you they retain the proper name of the town, but they translate the verb that the root is tied with, and you see the same thing the same kind of thing happens in the book of Hosea. Right, he says you'll name this child Lo Amani because you are no longer right. my people. Well, in English you're like, well, what does that have to do with anything, right? But in Hebrew, it, it's actually kind of like a double slap in the face. You're going to name this child not a people. Because you're no longer my people. The the city of dust is going to be rolling in the dust. Um, Akzib, towards the end here, Akzib is, sounds like the Hebrew word for deceitful. So the, right. the city of lies or the house of lies shall be a deceitful thing to the king of Israel. So there's all this wordplay. And then uh, the other side of it is there's certain things in here that have to do with the history of Israel that are really important. So um, in the beginning where it says, tell it not in Gath, weep not in Bethlehem, Gath is the place uh, where David went after he, you know, uh, uh, Goliath was from Gath, but he also spent time in Gath, which is Philistine territory. And he, you know, this is part of, it ties into like the announcement of Saul's death. That was something that was related to Gath. So this idea of telling it not in Gath, proclaiming it not in Gath is tied to the history of the history of Israel. Um, or like this reference to the glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. Well, Adullam was the cave that David was hiding in when Saul went in to, uh, to relieve himself. And David stole the little corner of his, of his robe to prove that he could have killed him. So Adullam right. is this cave that's known for where the royalty of Israel go. It's like a refuge place when they go when they need to be safe. And so this saying here is basically saying... Um, when the glory of Israel, it's probably talking about sort of the, the the royalty or the nobility of Israel will flee to the caves because of what's going on in Jerusalem, because the invaders are coming. So if you don't understand uh, the history of Israel, if you don't uh, have some sort of ability to operate in the Hebrew, 
um, you miss a lot of what's going on in the text. And that's why it's important, like commentaries and things like that are important because it allows those of us who don't have that kind of, of access to the Hebrew or access to the original languages, it gives us access access to that. So you can actually go to ccel.org, which is a great website. There's all sorts of great Christian literature, classic Christian literature that's there. You can get Matthew Henry, uh, Matthew Henry's commentary on scripture there, and you can get Calvin's commentaries on scripture. And both of those will give you a more robust understanding of what's going on in the text than especially in the prophets where it's poetic language. It'll, it, a lot right. of times plays on wordplay and things like that. It's important to go to those commentary sources because otherwise you're going to miss nuances in the text that you otherwise wouldn't see. And I think that's part of the value here because we're, I think what we're really to understand is the complete and total reversal of what's about to happen to the people of, of Israel. Right. And that's why in verse 13, we get this sense of harness the steeds to the chariots. And what's interesting about that language is here again, we have like another fortified city located outside of Jerusalem. And instead of the reference here implying that we are, what we have is a city that's equipped to go to war here, what we're seeing is that the chariots are going to be bound to this swift steed in order that they might make a hasty flight of escape right. when the, when the, the, um, the enemy comes. So it's almost like saying like, we have to think with the preacher, how drastic this is. Like, it's almost like saying all of the, the aircraft at a U.S. military installation are not going to be used for war, but just to get out of there. That's how strong the enemy is going to come. That's how, how this overthrow, how great it's going to be. And it's going to be that great because God is the one himself who's bringing it. And so it's just incredible to think about if you were a person hearing this in, in that time and considering what he's saying and taking him at face value, just how calamitous this would be. I mean, there's just, I think it would be unequaled in a sense, it hearing what God is about to do. I mean, this, this really is a cloud of doom that is yeah. epic to a, a great extent. Yeah, so that, that brings us to, and we've already read it, but I'm going to read it again. That brings us to verse 16 here. It says, Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. So the prophet here is is basically commanding the people of Israel, or the people of Judah in this case, to engage in the practices of mourning and grieving. He's basically saying, get dressed for a funeral. It would be like if, um, if I was preaching or if I was communicating to somebody and I said, you better get your black suit on because there's going to be a funeral and I need you to be ready for it. That's essentially what the prophet is saying here. So right. this this idea of, of making yourselves bald or cutting off your hair, that was a common funerary practice in Israel. And in fact, the only time that an Israelite male was allowed to do these kinds of things, to shave their beard, to cut off their hair, was in times of extreme shame or mourning. Right? You think of um, David had some men that, that went and they were, they were kind of overcome in battle and they came back and their beards were shaved off. He wouldn't even let them come back into Jerusalem until their beards had grown back. So right. this idea of making yourself bald or cutting off your hair is not just an ordinary sign of grief, but it's a sign of extreme mourning and grief that the people of Judah would be would be taking on. And then it says, make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. And it's referring to the children of your delight. And so the, the commentators are kind of split on what this means. But most of them that I've read believe this probably is a reference to the children that the people of Israel had in times of relative prosperity. So there was this period in Israel's history where they were very prosperous. And so the people had children during that time and they grew spiritually lazy during that time. But those children would now be taken off into exile. And so the prophet is commanding people to mourn on behalf of this loss that they're about to suffer which also points to the fact that it is a certain thing that God is going to bring about so much so that the prophet can say before it even happens, you should begin the process of mourning. There's something about this that's like kind of haunting to me. Yeah. And maybe this is a decent place to kind of wrap up the conversation with this little pericope because it's something that's kind of on the tip of my mind. It's, it's not a fully developed idea, but it's a sense that here we have Micah explaining to God's chosen people represented in a political structure that was a theocracy. 
so there is something that's absolutely unique here. And I'm, th what I'm not saying is to go against that. At the same time, though, there's something in here that I think is relevant for all of us in the sense that God is a God in his goodness and his righteousness of discipline, that we should never assume that God would not hesitate to bring discipline into our lives, to bring it swiftly, to perhaps bring it catastrophically. And this is because I think what God desires most of us from us is obedience that is not rooted in any, of course, kind of like meritorious work where we feel like we are earning something from God, but that our obedience always comes out of love and respect. And so I think oftentimes we tend to drift toward the meritorious portion, even if unwittingly, we, we yeah. probably don't often wake up thinking, I'm going to earn some of God's respect today by yeah. doing some daily Bible reading and spending some time in prayer. But we can often fall into that kind of de facto mode where that is in fact how we live, practically speaking. And so I, I think that here, it's just a reminder that God does discipline his people that where it says earlier, like tell it not to tell it not in Gath, that we shouldn't gratify those who exalt over the falls of God's people. And yet at the same time, we need to recognize that it's perhaps not uncommon for God to address sin in our lives sometimes, even in his graciousness, very, very directly. And that may in fact be painful. And I think that's part of what we're seeing here. And I'm getting that kind of wrapped up in this whole image of, you know, imagine shaving your head. Like we both have beards, like imagine shaving all that hair and being with everybody else in your circle whom you understand is doing the same thing. You're just seeing this constant visual reminder of this humiliation, that there's a serious yeah. thing that's about to happen here. And why is it happening? Because of this utter sickness. And it's happening because not because God's allowing it, but because he's actually promulgating it. It is his will. And I, I think part of what we see in Tell It Not in Gath is the sense that when God brings this kind of discipline, uh, it's not the kind of thing that anybody should take lightly and make fun of or right. jest over, especially from the outside, because God always has a specific purpose in it for our good and for his glory. Yeah. And so it's, it's never, of course, capricious, but it's never just punishment for the sake of you didn't do what I said. And so therefore there's just a consequence for that. That is, that is only, that's not the root. That might be the leaf, but it's not the root in the sense that what God desires from us is holy living and purely holy qualified life. And so to, in order to encourage it, oftentimes we need the discipline. Like we do need the rod. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that embedded in this passage. Yeah. And you know, the commentators that I read, you know, I, I read, I read Calvin, I read Henry, and then I have the ESV um, commentary, the exegetical, exegetical commentary, the expository commentary. And one of the things they point out about that phrase, the children of thy delicacies or the children of thy delights or whatever the translation comes out in, is that these are th the prophet is pointing out that the people of Israel, the people of Judah specifically, had lived in this period of God's kindness. They had lived in this period where they had a, a relatively easy life. They were they were prosperous. They were free from invading armies, which militarily there's really no good reason they should have been. I mean, Israel, um, after Solomon's reign, Israel has always been kind of this podunk little country with yeah. basically nothing. Um, yet God still held off these invaders and kept them from taking over the land until the iniquity of the Israelites had become full, as it were. And they spurned that, right? God had been so gracious to them. He'd been so kind to them. And yet he still, they still, um, they still persisted in this spiritual adultery of worshiping other gods and go chasing after other gods, um, chasing after other kings. They wanted a king besides Yahweh. They wanted gods besides Yahweh. And, you know, I, I wonder sometimes how much we are guilty of doing the same thing in our own context. Because we are a people who have been shown so much. In America, we have such liberty to say and to preach and to speak about whatever we want. We we literally have the freedom to preach the gospel to anyone at any time, anywhere. And, and for the most part, we have laws that protect us from people responding to us in a way that would persecute or harm us. 
yet we right. still squander the gospel and treat it like it's a secret sometimes. Like we're ashamed, we are ashamed of the gospel because of the social consequences that we might face. So I just wonder how many times we've set up these idols in our own lives and we've spurned that and we, 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 if we're not ready to make a change, if we're not willing to let the Holy Spirit change us, we may be sending the children of our delicacies into exile at some point in the future as a nation. And that's a scary thing for me, but it also is kind of one of those things that's like the, the scripture is here for our edification. So yes, this has something to do with us. This has something to say to us. We just have to understand and we have to, we have to, uh, we have to let the Holy Spirit teach us what that means. This is the kind of thing that I think we need to spend more time on meditating, both corporately in our own gatherings as the people of God, but also personally, because I think this is perhaps often what Solomon means when he says to go to the house of mourning, it's better to go there into a house of joy and celebration that there's something in this passage that again, it's just hauntingly sobering. And it's, it's just on the tip for me in the sense that I don't think I'm even yet fully grasping everything that's meant for me in the contemporary sense, because the scriptures are, as you said, like our internal, eternal contemporary. And so we have to respect the fact that this isn't just like a history lesson, like, because it's really easy to read this type of stuff and say, it's super clever. Like, yes, I get more of what he was trying to say to the people at that time. And here we have a good history lesson lesson and it proves God's sovereignty because he, of course, all these prophecies came to pass exactly as Micah said. And then we just kind of put the scripture down and we go on with our way without considering, like you said, our own idols, our own proclivities, our own hearts that are wayward in prone to wander. And where I get concerned and caught up in my own life is, am I paying attention to the fact that God is one who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, but that love as well is often expressed in discipline, especially when we have persisted to go in that direction, which we ought to know better. Yeah. And so this is almost like you could take it as a warning for everybody. Like you said, I like the idea of like, get out your suit because there's a funeral coming. And so in some ways we should always have that mindset because of numbering our days, understanding how great our sin is. Yeah. At the same time, I think that's, that's kind of a wake up call for get about being holy, you know, like get about the father's business, which is both the, the proclamation of the gospel in every sphere of influence that you have. And in addition to that, to be actually concerned every day about your own holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, that's not something that is right front and center in my way of life or my thinking very often. And so this draws me to think about it more seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I was excited to do this series, but now that we've got a couple under our belt, I'm just really stoked to continue to see what God has for his people through our study of the prophet Micah. It's, it's been really interesting to me, but it's been really encouraging to me to really see the text come alive in a way that it hasn't for me before. I mean, I've probably read Micah as a whole. I've probably read it a dozen times, but to really deep dive and and understand it and really kind of bathe in it for a little bit of time to sort of breathe it in and let it settle um, has been really, really fruitful for me, I think. So I'm excited for us to keep going. Yeah, I'm, this is a great conversation. I love that we're really trying to, I think, draw out some of the marrow here of these texts in a way that really propels us toward more godly living. That's not just disparate and wonderful theological ideas, but of course, the end of all theology is doxology and right, right thinking leading to right living. So I, I want to bookend this with a comment that's going to sound like super trite, but of course, I don't mean it to be, and it's going to seem like I'm trying to make a pun. Micah style, but I'm also <laughs> not. This is a fairly serious thing, but it does have some wonderful plan words here. So I started by talking about being hacked, which basically is, of course, having your identity stolen. And in the midst of all that, and then reading this passage and thinking about what it means that God can turn our mourning into dancing, how yeah. wonderful it is to have your identity in Christ. That the Bible speaks in that way, not you're associated with, you're just like, but to have your identity hidden in Christ, where it cannot be hacked, it cannot be stolen, it is always secure. Yeah. And I don't know, I just wanted to bookend it. I know that sounds like I'm trying to make a Christian bumper sticker, but the only place where your identity is absolutely secure in this life and in the one to come is when it is hidden in Christ. Yeah, yeah, I can just set it better myself. It's a, it's a good word. So we'll, we're going to wrap things up this week. 
Um, we are, I've had a couple people ask me if while we're doing this Micah series, if we're going to continue to do things like bookcasts and question casts. And the answer is that we are indeed going to continue to do both bookcasts and question casts. Can't stop, won't stop. So if you have a question for us, maybe you want to follow up on something you're reading in Micah, or you have a question about reform preaching by Joel Beakey or anything else. Uh, Jesse, why don't you head us with that phone number, if you can remember it. <laughs> I, I knew you were going to ask, and I cannot remember it. I'm not uh, going to try. It's 607-444-2767. So do you hit just us have up. that memorized? I do. I practice it every day. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> I don't actually practice it every day, but there was that one time that I gave it out wrong. So there's <laughs> oh, that. That's right. I forgot about that. Um, yeah, so we would love to get some questions, either about Micah or about anything else. We do listen to every single voicemail, even if we don't address it on the show. Uh, we do take email questions as well. You can email info at reformbrotherhood.com. Um, but we prefer voicemails because we, as much as, uh, as much as this is a show that Jesse and I do, we love having other voices on the show as well. It's great to insert some clips from other people and get some other disparate voices on the show as well. Um, so maybe you want to tell us what you're learning about a Micah or you want to ask a question. Yes, please and again, get in on that. 607-444-2767. Hey, quick, as we end, some really good news about the info at reformedbrotherhood.com email address. Yes. it's It hasn't been compromised yet. It hasn't. Good. That's good. It's only like six months old, so I, I would hope not. It's safe and secure for now. So, for yeah, now. so hit us up on any one of those ways of communicating with us. Get in this conversation. And yeah, we're just going to, we're going to do questions. We're going to do the book cast and we've got lots of questions. So even if I want to encourage people, like if you leave a voicemail, we never just like delete voicemails. They just go into this like really big log and we just, just try to tackle them as we can yep. come to them. So yep. well, even if you called like six months, if you've called two years ago, it's still there. It's coming. We're coming <laughs> for you. We'll have to do like, uh, after this series, we'll have to do like three question casts in a row just to catch up. Uh, yeah, we, we definitely should. We could just do that, like a bunch of questions yeah. all at once. Just lightning round. Like you only get 10 words to address the question. 10 words? 10 words. I don't think that's enough. I mean, that was enough for God to communicate <laughs> the entire moral law, but I don't know if I can accomplish that. <laughs> Fair enough. Standards. Standards. Yes. Well, Jesse, until next time, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Uh-